Welcome to the Spirit Restored Podcast. This is where the curiosities of spiritualism meet the belief systems of members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This podcast is only for those with an open mind. Join Ken Adams on his quest to find higher planes of spiritual experience. Welcome to the Spirit Restored podcast today. I am producing this on a Monday. I was a little little bit late getting it out because as I was creating this episode, I had some awesome realizations right before I was about to produce it. And I had to go back to the drawing board to make sure that it's what I wanted it to be. And if you're listening to this, you're probably a normal person and you're most likely wondering how to get your life going the way that you want it to go. How to make your life as pleasant or as wonderful or as amazing or as full of learning that you want it to be. And it's pretty easy to feel that way that maybe you haven't been able to get it how you want it to be. And I remember when I was starting my business, my timeline therapy and NLP business, And I was really worried about starting it because I had a job and at my job, it was really secure and I'd get a paycheck every month. I had, you know, uh, healthcare and all kinds of benefits. And I really knew deep down in my heart, I wanted to start this business, but I was really scared. And so I had a lot of excuses, right? I, I thought, oh, I'll never have time because my kids take up all my time and my wife takes up all my time and it's just really difficult. Well, the interesting thing is that it actually wasn't that difficult to start the business and really making the, the challenge with the business actually is making the results what you want them to be. And I remember working with some missionaries when I was working at the missionary training center, sometimes I would go on trips and this particular trip, I went to El Paso, Texas, and I was helping these missionaries learn Spanish and ways that they can improve their study because we were implementing Spanish in their mission, even though none of them were trained to learn Spanish in the missionary training center. And so I was asked to go there to help them get on top of that because I was a leading expert in language learning in the church. And uh, I went on splits with some missionaries and they uh, were planning and I was there with them planning and I asked them some questions. I said, okay, what do you want to accomplish today? And they looked at me and they're like, well, we, uh, We'd like to go out there and talk to some people and teach some lessons. And I said, that's not specific enough. What do you want to accomplish today? And they said, well, we'd, we'd like to find uh, four new investigators. And I said, okay, that's a little more specific. Four more, four more people to have in your teaching pool to teach about the gospel. And I asked, okay, how old are they? And they got really quiet because they'd never thought of doing it this way, right? Because this kind of level of design, right? How old were they? And I asked also, I said, do they have a family? Are they a family? And they said, yeah, it's a family. And I said, how many kids are in the family? They said three. And I said, are the parents married? They say, yeah. How old are the parents? 34, 33, and the kids are 12, nine, and three. And I said, what other hobbies do they like? And they said, well, the dad likes to play soccer and he, uh, works a good job and they have money and everything. And I said, okay, how about who do they know in the ward already? Who are the people that you feel inspired to go ask and see if 
they could invite them to it. And they thought about it and they're like, oh, I don't know. And then all of a sudden someone's name popped in their head and they wrote it down. And this kind of design, you know, they didn't really know this before. They didn't really even consider designing this out before as to what they were looking for and doing it in that kind of detail. And I told them, I looked at them, I said, hey, text me back later today when you found them. And this kind of courage that the missionaries were learning right there, it took me a while to develop myself. And I'm still developing this kind of courage. And I remember when I got married to my wife and she wanted kids right away. She told me, in fact, she said, um, I want kids right away. I don't, if you don't want kids right away, I don't really know why we're getting married because being married is for growing a family, having a family and having kids. I personally, I was reluctant because I wanted to just spend time with her for like a year after getting married. And she told me, she said, that's what dating was for. So I remember being out at our family cabin on a bridge uh, over this river behind our cabin and just sitting there and praying and not really knowing what to do. Well, fast forward, you know, a little bit of time, my wife is pregnant. Yeah. And while she's pregnant, some interesting things would always happen, right? Like we would, we would always be asking each other, like, what do you want to eat? <laughs> really? My wife would be asking me that because I didn't care. I would eat anything. I just, whatever someone else didn't eat, I would eat. And that's a story for another day. But my, my wife, she said, I want some cauliflower soup. And so I look up this recipe for cauliflower soup and it takes like three hours to make. Yeah. So I'm over there, I'm cutting up this cauliflower. First, you got to bake it, then you got to cut it up, then you got to blend it. And then you add all these other vegetables into it and heat up the oven and get it all there. And my wife is over there saying, is it ready yet? Are you done yet? Are you done yet? Are you done yet? Right. And by the time I got the food out of the oven and I'm bringing it over to her, she's like, I don't even want it anymore. <laughs> so my lead, my, my wife, she's so cool and so fun. And she's always doing awesome things that are pushing boundaries, pushing my boundaries. And I'm always developing myself as a man. And right now she's learning how to code so that she can make her own apps. And it's been fun to listen to the lessons that she's taking. She's taking some courses from Harvard about computer science right now. And in those courses from Harvard about computer science, they give some really interesting details about computers and how basically all the computers knew how to do at the very beginning. The very first thing that they programmed a computer to do was to turn on and off. And if you know me about my business, that's basically a lot of what I do with people's minds is I help them reprogram their minds like you would a computer, basically. The language that I use, the techniques that I have, all of that is for the purpose of helping someone reprogram their mind, reprogram their behaviors, reprogram everything so that they can have the life that they want. So what is this all about today? Yeah, well, really the question for today is, is good and evil even real? If you think about it, right? We dictate so much of our lives around good and evil. But have you ever sat back and asked if good and evil is even real, right? Like, how would your life change if you suddenly realized that good and evil were simply individual and societal constructs created in the mind? 
there could be massive implications, right? Because things like murder and abuse and war and plagues, all of these seem evil, right? Would they still be evil if we stopped thinking of them as evil? This is one of those really interesting philosophical questions because there's, you know, even in the scriptures, it says, beware of men that call evil good and good evil. Well, this is presupposing that good and evil even exist, right? And this comes to, in, in my field with neurolinguistic programming, we call this a value judgment. So what is a value judgment? A value judgment are simply labels of our perception of reality. We label our behaviors, our beliefs, our attitudes, our products, other people, and even our own identities as good and evil. But is it even a real concept, right? And we also label all of these value, everything in life, right? We label everything either good, bad, evil, ugly, attractive, hard, easy, right? A value judgment can be any of those things. When looking at value judgments, the question that you always have to ask if someone gives a value judgment or if you're giving yourself a value judgment, you say, according to whom? Yeah. So if someone says, oh, this is really bad, you can say, according to whom? Who's deciding that, right? And this is an important question as you get into this, because some people will be like, oh, money, making money is really hard. And you say, according to whom? Yeah. And that can get them to rethink their beliefs and start thinking about other things rather than maybe what they grew up with. Because the issue is that value judgments are only a perception in the mind. Yeah. It doesn't actually exist in objective reality. You can't hold a value judgment in your hands, right? Can you hold good in your hands? You can't. It's just an idea that's created to label something. And the per, this perception that you have is a collection of preferences, values, beliefs, and attitudes that determine what is good or bad, what is good or evil, what's right and wrong, what's ugly, what's attractive, what's hard, what's easy, yeah? And all of these are in your head all the time. And these value judgments govern your life. It governs your behavior. It governs what people you hang out with, what media you consume, and all that kind of stuff. And so the question, you know, one of, one of the big problems, I'll say, is first of all, value judgments might be true for you, but not for other people. So, for example, people that are headhunters and cannibals probably have a completely different concept of good and bad. Yeah, in those societies, if someone goes out and cuts someone's head off and brings it back and shrinks it, they are considered one of the gods. They're considered, you know, up there with the warriors, the most valuable people in society. That's a lot different than what our society values. In their society, they call that good. In our society, we call that murder and we throw the person in prison. And so which one is it? It depends on who you talk to, right? And value judgments, the other problem that's really big with value judgments is that when you apply it to yourself, you can cause harm to your psyche, either in self-aggrandizement or self-abasement. Yeah, and you can, and people can also hypnotize others into thinking that they're not good enough, and that will lead to other behaviors that aren't helpful. And so it's this concept of, you know, someone says, oh, you're not worthy, right? Think about the implications of saying that to someone else, how that might make them behave in the future if they believe it, if they're hypnotized into believing that they're not worthy, what are the kind of behaviors that they'll do to make it a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? And so you have to look at everything at face value before you accept a concept of good or evil. You have to look at your whole life in context. Well, when was this word good introduced into our life? Well, we can see in the book of Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, 
and God is creating the universe. God is creating earth, yeah? And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. Now, I'm going to bring your attention to the scripture. And God saw everything, yeah? He didn't say most things or just about everything. He said everything. That's what it says in the scripture. Everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. So every last thing that God created is very good, is what he's saying. That's his value judgment right there. And so when you're looking around you at God's creations and you're calling things evil or bad or whatever it is, right? That's not what God said. God didn't say that. God said that everything was very good. That was in the scripture that he had. That was his value judgment. That is one of the preferences of the mind of God, right? Those are his beliefs, his values, his preferences, all of those things. And he said everything that he created here on earth was very good. So when was this word evil introduced to humankind? Well, that happened in the Garden of Eden. And this was just two chapters later in the scriptures, right? And this is in chapter 3, verse 5. And Satan goes up to Adam and Eve to tempt them. And he says, For God doth not know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. It's very interesting that it says, God doth not know that in the day ye eat thereof. Yeah, he's, he's telling them that God doesn't know. But how would that be possible if God's already all-knowing, right? Satan's really tricky, if you don't notice by his language. Then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So he's saying, as soon as you eat the fruit, you'll be like the gods. You'll be exactly like the gods. And you will already know good and evil. That's what Satan is telling Adam and Eve. And obviously that wasn't true. They fell and they were not like the gods. They fell and they became mortal like man. And so they were deceived in that way that they did not become just like the gods. And of course, we know from the Book of Mormon in Alma, it talks about how this was the plan so that they would then eat of the tree of the fruit of life and live forever in their fallen state. Live forever not fully knowing good and evil and live forever not as the gods. That is what Satan wanted. So in verse 22, in the same chapter, it says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. Yeah? One of us. I like that word us. It makes you really know that it wasn't just God there. There was at least Jesus Christ, maybe others, right? To know good and evil. Now, I want you to pay attention to the linguistics here. Satan says, knowing good and evil. And God says, to know good and evil. Now, linguistically, it's a very subtle and slight difference, right? Satan is presupposing that as soon as they eat the fruit, they will actually know good and evil. God here is saying to know good and evil is more as a process, something they learn over time. So a question here is, why does God even use value judgments, though, right? If they're just simply a construction of his perception and mind. Now, this is a question I'm going to get back to as we go through this. And I want to first look at the word evil. Let's, let's dive into the linguistics just a little bit. So there's a word called ray, and it's the term that traditionally translates to evil in the Old Testament. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 24, verse 2, this is the same word that was used in Genesis, ray. Yeah? One basket had very good figs, even like the figs that are first ripe. And the other basket had very naughty figs. And naughty actually was ray. That's the same word for ray, naughty. 
which could not be even. They were so bad. That's also ray, bad. That word ray is bad. Yeah, so naughty, bad, evil. All of these are correlating to ray. And there's actually another scripture that talks about a wild animal using the word wild as ray. Yeah. And so here's here's an idea here and a concept, right? This word evil that was used in Genesis, ray, could be applied to figs or animals or anything, right? It's like the figs hadn't ripened yet. They weren't good yet. And in the book of Jacob 5, in the Book of Mormon, it goes into detail about fruit and how they need to become ripe. And those that are not ripe are cast away and thrown away. They're just not, they're not the best quality that the, the guy, the uh, Lord of the vineyard is looking for. Yeah. And there's another verse in Jeremiah, chapter 10, verses 5 through 6. It says, be not afraid of them. And when it's saying them, it's talking about these this other army of people. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither also is it in them to do good. Forasmuch there is none like unto thee, O Lord. Thou art great, and thy name is great and mighty. So when he's saying there's no one like you, O Lord, thou art great, it's saying that the Lord was able to do both good and evil. Yeah, And this differentiated him from a regular old person, right? God is able to do both good and evil. And when you look at that, though, in other scriptures, we know that God does not allow evil. So he's able to do evil, but he doesn't. And we know that from his creation. He looked at everything he created and he said, it's all very good. So here's the question, though. This is where... When we're talking about value judgments, it's really something that we apply in circum certain circumstances. We say, this is good, this is bad, this is ugly, this is attractive, this is nice, this is wrong, this is right. You know, like all those things we just apply and people disagree with us all the time. So how do you know if something is good or evil? Here's an example. How about a pregnant woman out of wedlock? Yeah. It, did she do something evil? And when you think about it, that woman is pregnant and she's going to have a child. What, what is the evil there, right? Like she's going to have a child. That's an objectively great thing to produce life and sustain life. That is a great thing for someone else to come into this world and to have life, right? She did it out of wedlock though. She did it or maybe in adultery or other things like that, right? So... Is it good? Is it bad? Well, consider this. The mother of Jesus Christ, Mary, was a pregnant woman out of wedlock. So does that change your perception? Right? And she gave birth to Jesus Christ. She was the one chosen of God, and she became pregnant out of wedlock. Yeah? So what is it? Was it evil? Was it good? What is it? Yeah? Here's another example. We're getting back to the figs, yeah, because figs seem to be a pattern. In, in the New Testament, Christ curses a fig tree yeah, and kills it because it didn't bear fruit. And I'm like, what did the fig tree ever do to you? Right? It's just sitting there. It's like, what's wrong with it? Why can't I just bear some dried up figs that aren't any good? You know, like, why do you got to kill it and wither it away? But this is a really good example that I'll get to in a little bit. A good principle is behind that, that Christ is teaching us about good and evil. And here's another example. Why did Jesus have an outrage against the money changers at the temple? I mean, think about it. They're at least at the temple. Most people don't even go, right? Like 
he could have been at least happy. He's like, hey, you are at the temple and you're doing money changing. I don't approve of that, but you're here, right? Why did why did he have to call it so evil? Yeah. That was his perception. Maybe the people at the temple thought it was a great idea because they were changing money and they were going to go feed their families and they would have enough money for bread and taking care of them and everything. Yeah. So there's different perceptions that people can have. And obviously I'm pushing some boundaries, right? I'm using Christ as an example just to push the boundary. Yeah. And what about all the people that God is credited to destroying in the Old Testament? Yeah, especially during the time of Moses. Was it evil that God was doing or was it him just responding to evil? All depends on your perspective. What about the people that were the armies against the Israelites and God commanded the Israelites to wipe them out and kill every woman and child and everything, right? Like, was that good or was that evil? Depends on your perspective, yeah? Now, here's here's the final really pushing boundaries. This is a very boundary-pushing statement here. Why was Satan banished out of heaven if good and evil aren't even real? If good and evil are just a perception, why banish Satan? Why kick him out? And why in the world is he here on earth? Why is this now his kingdom and all of a sudden we're here too? Why are we living with Satan when we could be living with God? These are all really interesting questions about good and evil and what the perception is that we have about whatever we've learned in our lives. So you might be in a swirl right now in your mind as I've brought this to you because it's most likely that you're thinking in your mind, well, I mean, I know good and evil exist. I believe that my whole life. I know that God has taught good and evil and, and it helps me be a better person, right? Well, just think about that, be a better person. What does that presuppose? Well, it presupposes that you're not as good as you want to be. And when you're describing yourself that way, that's a problem because in the reality, in the true identity of who you are, you're already good enough. You are already exactly how Heavenly Father wants you to be. He already knows you perfectly. He designed you. He was there with you throughout all your spirit life and pre-existence. You're already good enough. So why why is it a huge concern to be a better person? Now, this is these are really interesting questions. And if they don't bother you, you must not you must be ascended or something because they certainly bother me. These questions are really thought provoking. Yeah. Well, let me propose something about knowing good and evil. And I'm actually going to argue that, first of all, it's a paradox. And a lot of my podcasts, a lot of my episodes are paradoxes when we talk about it. The paradox is this. Good and evil does not exist. Yeah, like you can't hold good and you can't hold evil in a wheelbarrow. You can't put them in there and push them around. Like that, that doesn't exist. Or if someone's looking at a painting and someone says, that's the most beautiful painting I've ever seen. And someone says, that's the dumbest, ugliest painting I've ever seen. Which one's true, right? Good and evil don't actually exist except in our minds, in our consciousness. Yeah. And really no other animal or thing has the ability on earth to learn good and evil except for humans. Most animals and everything else seem to follow a rhythm. And if you ever read the book, it's a really good book. It's called Outwitting the Devil. He calls that rhythm hypnotic rhythm. It's basically this idea that the animals, the birds, the plants, the rivers, the water cycles, all of that follow a certain hypnotic rhythm that was created 
Yeah. And they follow those rules. It's like, even with a baby, when a baby's born, how does it know to drink milk? How does it know where to get the milk from and what to do and how to drink it, right? It's that those instincts that are innately built into a child. Have you ever really marveled at how wonderful that is, how amazing that is, that that's an actual thing in our lives, that the animals aren't just unpredictable all the time and that they actually eat their food when they're supposed to. If you have a dog, you know what, what that's like. They, it's good they eat or else they starve, you know, and we don't have to like shove food down their mouth all the time. It's a really great thing that we have instincts and we can call this a certain kind of programmed hypnotic rhythm in the universe. And this governs how our planets orbit, how the earth spins, how gravity works, the physics of life, of everything. Everything seems to work in a, in a hypnotic rhythm, even, even the seasons and how we breathe and our heartbeat, right? Our heartbeat is something totally involuntary, yet it's the most important thing in our lives. Yeah. And so all of these things work on a rhythm. Yeah. And we are the only living beings that can be aware enough that we can make conscious choices and invent abstract ideas and create new hypnotic rhythm. We are the only beings on the planet that can make new hypnotic rhythm. Yeah, what does that mean? We're the only beings that can program behavior into other animals. Like if you're taking a dog, right? It's you can get a dog and you can train it. Yeah, dogs don't train other things. You train dogs. Humans do the training. They do the programming. Humans can have children and the children don't really have this ability of consciousness until they're at least seven years old, seven or eight. And so parents can train children to think certain ways and they create certain programs in the minds of the children. Yeah, this is extremely powerful. In fact, this is the birthright of being a god. This ability to create programs, this ability to rewire behavior, to rewire thought, to rewire everything. Consciousness is the very thing that makes us like God. Everything else is living in unconsciousness. They're not even thinking about what they're doing. They're just reacting by instinct. Even plants, even inanimate objects, yeah, like water, it's just going by instinct. It's following the laws that were created. And I would say that those laws were created by God when he said, it's very good. Yeah. And so this is going back to the idea, right? Like why, why would God use the terms good and evil? Yeah. Why would he even make value judgments? And I believe that our ability to label good and evil is the same as our ability to make life the way that we want it to be. And so good and evil in this sense creates the parameters of life. And this is an attribute only given to the gods. This is an attribute only given to people that can create something out of very little. This is an attribute given to God as a creator that can create worlds, that can create the laws of physics, that can create and design life the way that he wants it to be. And if you're in this situation of evaluating good and evil just according to your actions and who you are, you're actually evaluating yourself according to someone else's parameters. What you can do instead is you can look at your life and say, how do I want to create parameters in my life? 
What do I want my marriage to be like? What do I want my job to be like? What do I want my religious experience to be like? What do I want to sound like? What do I want people to think of me? How do I want to raise my children? And you can define all of that. You can make that all very clear. And your ability to apply value judgments like good and evil, right and wrong, yes and no, is very much, and you can think of it like a zero and a one in computer programming. When exactly like my wife was telling me that story from Harvard, yeah, they're saying computers started only knowing how to turn on and off, being programmed with on and off. One was on and zero was off, yeah? And so when you're programming a computer with zero and ones, it's like a yes, no, it's like a right and wrong. It's like a good and evil, a good and bad. And it makes me think of when Jesus Christ destroyed that fig tree. The reason why he destroyed the fig tree is because it wasn't going according to plan. It wasn't living in the way of that hypnotic rhythm that Jesus Christ and Heavenly Father had designed. And so it was destroyed. And this is one of those things that when it comes to good and evil and coming from God that you need to pay attention to, is that Jesus Christ said, take my yoke upon you for my burden is easy and my weight is light. Yeah, and he says that because... If you love him, you keep his commandments. When you keep his commandments, life becomes magnificently easier for you. And it should become easier. And if it's hard to keep commandments, it's because of the beliefs that you have that are not true. The beliefs about yourself, whether you're good or evil. And Jesus Christ never told us to evaluate ourselves as good and evil. He told us to evaluate our behaviors as good and evil. Are they producing the outcomes that you want? And... You're probably sitting here listening to this podcast and you're wondering, okay, how do I apply this in my life? Okay, well, here's an example. I want you to look at your financial situation, yeah? And I want you to first define the outcome. Define the outcome of your financial situation that you want, yeah? You can put a dollar amount, you can say when and all that kind of stuff. And then I want you to define the parameters, the the good ways that you want to go about developing that wealth and the ways that you don't want to go about developing that wealth. And you create those parameters around that. And you say, I will pursue wealth in these parameters and I want it to come to me in this way. Yeah. And so, you know, my wife, when I brought her that cauliflower soup, yeah, and she rejected it, I was very sad. Right? Like I put in a lot of work and I was really upset. I thought it was wrong for her to do that. But to her, she's like, I literally can't eat it. And if I eat it, I'm going to throw up. Right. She was creating her circumstances by saying no to it because she did not want it anymore. And we have that right because we have consciousness, because we have a way of thinking. And the thing is, in our society, there are people that are just saying good and evil don't exist. And they're right, but they also don't get the full picture. And the full picture is this, is that it does exist in our minds. And that is the birthright of a God. And so we can reject things, yeah? And we can accept things. And we can say, this is right and this is wrong. And we can define that for our whole lives outside of what a system tells us, because really you have to start giving up what you believe the system is telling you to do in order for you to lean into this idea fully. And when you lean into this idea fully that you can make your life the way that you want to, you will no longer be controlled by any system. In fact, the way that I describe how I worship and believe in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is that I believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but I'm not controlled by the church. I don't need to do everything that everybody tells me to do in the church. 
And so when I am approaching life in this way, I start designing my life in the way that I want it to be. And when you get your life to be the way that you want it to be, it's going to be a lot easier. Yeah, you're going to be living the life that you want. It's just most people don't have the courage to make life that way. And this is what originally happened with those missionaries in El Paso is I told them to have courage and to define those people that they wanted to find. And they texted me at 7 p.m. And they said, Brother Adams, we found that family and their ages were right on, except for one child was about a year older than what we said. Quite a miracle, right? But that is that is the design of who you are as a, a human that's inheriting godhood is that and in fact, you've already, if you have this ability, you've already inherited godhood, this ability to create right and wrong in your life using your consciousness, because you can make life how you want. And, you know, when I was starting my business and I was using my kids and as, as an excuse and everything, it, I said it was really easy to start the business because all I had to do was go online and register an LLC and voila, I started my business, right? And the challenge is getting the results you want. And now I'm learning to create systems in my business so that everything flows to me in the way that I want it to flow. I'm creating, in a sense, a hypnotic rhythm in a way that helps me collect money. I'm looking at my mind, my mentalities, my beliefs, all those things that prevent me from making money. I'm also looking at my marketing strategy and my sales strategy and all those kind of things. And if you have questions about that kind of stuff, you can talk to me another time. But I, I wanted to say thank you for listening today. And I think when you really get this, that your, your consciousness is godhood, that your ability to be intelligent and make conscious choices and to learn that that is godhood, then you're going to make life exactly how you want it to be because how couldn't you not? You have no reason to need to live in any other way than the way that you define you want to live. And you can make your own rules. So thanks for listening. Please share this with people. I really want this to grow. And I think this episode particularly is an important message for people that are stuck in their life. I think once they learn to be empowered and to create their own reality, they're going to make the reality that they want it to be. Thank you. And we'll talk again next Sunday. Ken loves to get feedback from his audience. Send him a private message or write a review so that he can discuss topics that are most relevant to your spiritual experience. Thank you for listening today and remember to join next week.